this week on the Backtable podcast. But the vast majority of kind of private practice IR guys are being, you know, kind of looked down upon by their uh, diagnostic partners. So now you take that business outside of the hospital and then you start printing money basically for the group and say, look, you know, I'm now bringing in seriously positive revenue for you. Give me my time. Let me build my clinic. Let me build my business. And it will continue to pay in procedures and downstream revenue. You know, you've now added a really seriously important arm to the 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 diagnostic radiology group that they before was more of a loss leader. You know, IR is something they needed as a service commitment. Uh, yeah, we have to do your abscess strategies. We have to do your pick lines. That's fine. But we want to read your brain MRIs. Now it's the other way around. Now IR is driving things and IR is sending checks to the group and saying, just let us do our thing and we're going to keep building and you're going to see we're going to keep making this better and better. And I think that's the future of IR. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular or otherwise minimally invasive. You can find all previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or backtable.com. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or reach out to us on Twitter or email us to let us know how we can make this a more valuable resource for the endovascular community. This is Michael Barraza, your host for today's episode, recording in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm honored to welcome my friend and peripheral arterial disease extraordinaire, Mike Watts, recording from Oakland or Las Vegas or uh, wherever it is the Raiders are hailing from right now. I, I see her. But what is that right behind you? I, I have, I got two things in this office. Otherwise, the office is completely empty. I have the the diagram of Marcus Allen's run from the 1983 Super Bowl. Um, and then I have the replica brick that sits in the Raiders' new stadium in Las Vegas with my kids' names on it. That's, that's all I got. As Mike knows, I would, I would be happy to talk about the NFL for an entire podcast, but instead we're going to talk about OBLs, outpatient-based labs, and, and what you can do with them. And, you know, when most people think OBLs, I think PAD, you know, and uh, I think about my dentist. My dentist technically has an OBL and, and he doesn't do any PAD. And, Minimal at best. Yeah, <laughs> uh, certainly not on purpose. Uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is talk to you about, you know, what else can you do in an OBL? And what does is, what is the horizons look like for, for really, you know, all kinds of outpatient labs that, that we have in our specialty? And so, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to have you do first is, you know, give us a, a little overview for people who aren't, aren't aware of this, especially the trainees. Like, what is an OBL? And What's the difference between that and ASC? Yeah, sure. So when you're talking about physician practices outside of the hospital, any office, I guess, where a physician delivers a certain amount of care, diagnosis, um, patient visit is, is, is a office-based lab, basically, um, a lab if you do anything. But I guess technically it's a, uh, a point-of-service 11, uh, which is just kind of insurance billing jargon for you know, a place where a physician does their work um, outside of the hospital. Um, this is opposed to an ASC, which they dub the point of service 24, which is more or less any place where a physician does uh, any therapeutic work other than their office. Um, so what's this mean really? OBLs are kind of, they're, they're overseen depending on the state by the National Board of Medical Examiners or sometimes the state, but they're very loosely regulated. And they are reimbursed for what you do. They're significantly different than in the hospital or an ASC um, because it's basically just a physician, wherever they are, doing whatever it is they do, uh, being paid for, for their services. An ASC is a much more strict definition. 
Um, and you have to meet a lot of different criterias as far as like space, um, hallway widths and dimensions, HVAC systems. Um, and once you kind of meet all these criteria, you're then licensed by the state. Uh, and that allows for different things. One of the main reasons I think people do ASCs rather than OBLs is an OBL can be owned by physicians who practice within that state. An ASC can be owned by corporate entities, non-physicians. They can have shares, fractional ownership. Um, and so it can be more of a, a hospital venture or a corporate venture um, or, you know, multi-specialty physician kind of venture um, for business reasons. Uh, and there are also reimbursement pluses and minuses for, for each one. So OBL, you know, basically just open up a spot, you practice there, um, it's very little um, oversight. State by state, everything I say is different. I think Florida, if I'm not mistaken, there is some licensing or state inspection that needs to be done. But other states, it's pretty much, you know, very minimal. And ASCs are, are strict uh, and have, you know, kind of other consequences with them if you choose to go that route. Right on. So I know the answer to this, but, you know, just again, for our, uh, our guests, I mean, how, why would somebody in a hospital-based group want to open an OBL? Like what are some of the advantages of it? Yeah. Um, there's, there's quite a few. So I think the first thing that everyone sees is reimbursement. Um, and you know, all of this stuff is public, you know, Medicare reimbursement rates are public everywhere. So what Mike said when we started was, you know, everybody thinks PAD. Well, why do we think PAD? Just from a physician standpoint, uh, if you're to take 37227, which is the SFA atherectomy and stent code. So it's just the, the biggest one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it makes the, the, the biggest kind of impact when you look at it. If a physician were to do that procedure in the hospital, they'd be reimbursed somewhere about $1,000. If they do it outside of the hospital in their office, it's upwards of $20,000. It's taken a, a hit recently. So it might be like $18,000. So you're looking at 18X in reimbursement. And now all of a sudden, when you take that and you take the implications of that, what that means is, all right, if I do a couple of these a week, basically, I'm bringing in more money than I would if I were in the hospital. So right. now I can pay rent somewhere. I can hire my own staff. You know, you guys have all been in hospitals long enough to know that, you know, there's the tech who, when they got to scrub the case, they're rolling their eyes, you're rolling their eyes. There's the nurse who doesn't agree with anything you say. And, um, you know, you can avoid that. You can have your own staff. You can have a place where you want it. You can have the patients walk in. You know, one example that I mentioned here for, for patient access, we can do a thyroid biopsy in the hospital or we can do a thyroid biopsy in the OBL. Thyroid biopsy in the OBL, they check in up front. The second they check in, someone walks them back, nurse brings them to the room, explains the procedure. They hand me the consent. I have them sign it. I sign it. I give them my little spiel while I'm ultrasounding, do the surgical timeout, numb them up, take the samples, put a bandaid on, send them on their way. They literally spend 30 minutes in the, in the place. As opposed to the three hours they spend when they come to my hospital. That's exactly it. They go to the hospital, they go to registration, they got to check in. Um, there's a process involved with that before they actually get to radiology. And then they're being asked questions as if they were going to have, you know, basically a laparotomy. Um, literally every nursing question is the same um, from yes. not just medical history, but, you know, the, the, are you safe at home? Do you feel down, depressed or blue? Do you have any abnormal antibodies in your blood? Like there's these questions that, you know, somewhere tripped somebody up years ago and they just get added on. So the, you've all seen it in your hospitals, but it just, that's, you can slim down some of that 
in the outpatient lab. So you have a much more kind of convenient place for the patients. They prefer it. There's no parking generally. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> I've been involved in some pretty big medical centers uh, and, and the, the press Ganey scores would be drilled into us. You know, what's the, what, where's our biggest source for improvement? What's our biggest detriment? Parking. Parking. I was at the Cleveland Clinic, right? I mean, the, the, the mecca of all medicine, the people who come could get anything cured or fixed like they could get nowhere else. And they didn't want to come because of parking. Uh, so you kind of take that, you kind of take that out of the, uh, out of the equation, uh, plus scheduling. I mean, all right. So I want to work from 7am to 3pm. Sure. I want to work from 9am to 9pm. Sure. Um, you know, you're kind of in control of how you want to run that, how many days a week you want to run it and what you want to do. You know, the, the hospital practice, you know, one of the, one of the last, uh, when I was doing full-time hospital practice, one of the, the real things that, that kind of drove me away and realized I wanted to make a switch was, you know, I had something, I had little kids at the time, there's something yeah. I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I was on call Friday, which is great. If I get for the weekend, if I get called, that's fine. But when I get called at four 30 and say a patient needs a dialysis catheter exchange, but if the patient's transport doesn't get down transports, the nurses shift changed, transport shift changed. Oh, hold on. They want to put a central line in. Oh, whatever. So now it's seven 30 by the patient time the patient gets down, you know, I miss whatever it is my kids were doing. Right. Um, it, it, it doesn't, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot to be said for having an outpatient practice. Uh, and it's, it's, it's certainly doable with the way the reimbursements work. Yeah. And it sounds like in addition to a lot of advantages for you, there are really also a lot of advantages for the patient, you know, if given the choice, it, I, it, I would guess that a lot of them would choose the outpatient experience. I mean, for far more than just parking. Yeah. Well, the, the ones who, who have both experiences, no doubt about it, they, you know, once I've, I've treated them in my lab, um, they absolutely will not go back to the hospital unless they absolutely have to. And then they'll, they'll, they'll try their best not to. But the biggest, you know, which no one thought about two years ago, let alone five years or 10 years ago, from March of 2020 till now, there's a bit of a pandemic going on. Uh, and nobody wants to go to the hospital. That was to see other people. I live in the South. We don't have one here. I know. Um, Texas, I hear, definitely doesn't have one. Um, but up here, you know, people don't want to go into public places where sick people might be. So it's a great point. The, so, so there were so many things that were not being done in the hospital um, that, you know, we really never missed a beat because patients felt safe with us. Man. They felt, you know, there was very, you know, very few people in there at a time. Um, you know, we could space things out. We could, we could show them how safe everything was. And they felt they felt secure coming to our small place just to see us uh, and then be on their way. So that made a huge difference. You know, I, I, I talked to a bunch of people, you know, kind of on consulting basis about, you know, you know, what's the market like? You know, what's it like outpatient? What's it like hospital? And then these hospitals were shutting down all their elective surgeries. And, yeah. you know, we, we did that too for a while out of necessity early on just because, you know, when masks were short, you know, we, everybody kind of had that moratorium. But as soon as we were allowed to do things, I mean, the volume just blew up. I mean, over a hundred percent. Man, know, I never thought of expected. That. Yeah, it was a, a great safe place for patients to go. And um, I think that's going to prove to be the, the case from here on out. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, I mean, I know a bit about your own practice, but tell us a little bit about the history of your own outpatient lab in your practice. I mean, you guys have built something pretty impressive. Yeah. So this is, this is my second experience with the practice in outpatient lab. And I, I want to talk about this one specifically because you know, the, the way it kind of 
originated is my partner, Nick Petruzzi, who is, you know, he's, he's fantastic. He's a fantastic doctor. He's a fantastic person. Um, and he's really a fantastic businessman. Uh, he joined this practice kind of on the, on the near Atlantic city and the, on the Jersey shore in 2014, I think. And, um, you know, what he basically did is said, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're a couple IRs covering a hospital practice, but we have a lot of outpatient imaging centers. Uh, you know, the reimbursements really are such that if we can do some of the basically PAD work and stuff that we're doing in the hospital, if we can do it on the outpatient side, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very advantageous to us. And then, you know, some of the, some of the older guys in the group said, well, look, you know, you can, you can bill whatever you want, but I don't expect to get paid. And, you know, he's smart enough and, and persistent enough that, you know, he called some of the, uh, CRM, uh, distributors and said, Hey, can I borrow this for a week? Can I trial it? Can I trial it? He got a little room back behind one of the MRIs and one of the, and one of the outpatient imaging centers, you know, rounded up a couple of patients, treated them, submitted them, got it paid, went back to the board and said, here you are guys, here's what we make for doing these things. Uh, and, and, and pretty much got the, got the okay to say, all right, well, you've, you know, you've basically proven your point. Um, you know, how many days are you going to need to start? How many nurses are you going to need? How are we going to do this? And then he basically built it from the ground up. So that started 2000, said 14, 15, uh, they opened up a second center in another County, uh, 2017, 16, 17. Uh, and now we just opened up the third that I'm intimately associated with this past November. Yeah. So now that's, it's basically say six IRs. We've now included two vascular surgeons, uh, three completely freestanding OBLs, uh, and then two hospital, um, you know, the, uh, a hospital contract associated with two hospitals. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of how it built and how it is. And the reason I, you know, I'm, I'm so kind of high on this model is that, you know, we all kind of spend 80% of our time, most of us spend 80% of our time outpatient and 20% of the time inpatient. God, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it really is. Um, because, you know, what I now do and what, what we all kind of do is we use our hospital day as basically um, in, in, in an overflow for our bigger OBL procedures. So now when I go to the hospital, like I'll be there, um, you know, next week, you know, I'm, I'm booked with cryoblations. I have a day <laughs> full, full, away. full of awesome. cryoblations, right? So I'll be, I'll be doing, um, you know, we can get into all the other procedures we do in the OBL. But I'll, I'll be doing a lot of critical limb ischemia and I'll be doing some UAEs, and kyphoplasties and, you know, a bunch of other smaller things. But, you know, the, the refers and the relationships that we've built know that I'm going to do ablations. I'm going to do more IO stuff. I'm going to do um, really kind of crazy uh, complex venous reconstructions because I have that hospital um, ability to do it. Man, I'm, I'm honest. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm actually really excited for the site that you guys are going to open for me in a couple of years. <laughs> but no, it, it speaks really favorably to the rest of your group that, you know, they, they entertain Nick's idea then like, let's just do this. Let's try it. And, uh, you know, when it worked, they ran with it. You know, I think that, uh, there aren't a ton of places, not, not a lot of groups that, where that happens, uh, no, no doubt about certainly it. not as smoothly. No, no um, doubt about it. And, and there's, the, I mean, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of people like Nick who uh, have that, you know, kind of intelligence and drive and, 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 and can really, can, and, and, and or that is that convincing because you just have so much faith in them uh, and it's, it's, it's paid off, you know, massively. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the funny thing, you know, that, that, you know, but these other guys don't know is, you know, Nick Petruzzi was my fellow when I was at Penn 
Um, you know, I was at that point, I was associate fellow, fellowship director and he was a fellow. Um, and then he went off to this practice. Uh, and then, you know, what, four or five years later, he's calling me and like, you know, Hey, uh, we're going to open this extra center, you know, this third center. We need you to start it from the ground up and just, just hit, hit your, you know, hit the ground running. Right. So and you're that, good at that. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, so never, never piss off your fellows too much. They may be your boss. No, you know, no. Comes down to. That. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, you bring up another good point is, uh, you know, which are the cases that, you know, you're seeing either in the lab or in the hospital and you decide to, you know, this is a better case for the hospital. Yeah. Uh, that's vascular or otherwise. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, it's really, a, it's a, it's a great, again, I, I'm going to keep kind of banging this drum, but it's a, it's a great situation to have because what happens is the referrers can refer anything to us. Right. So, um, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. Cause we're never going to say, well, we can't do that because it involves thrombolysis. Well, we can't do that because, you know, we need a vascular surgeon involved for a common femoral endorectomy because guess what? You know, our group is we have includes two vascular surgeons. Yeah. Um, so what we tend to do, uh, and so kind of one of the one of the bigger groups of I talk about this one outpatient center, this one office interventional suite, OBL, whatever you call it, that I just opened in November, one of the relationships that grew very, very quickly is with the oncology group. So I do their ports, I do their port removals, I do their biopsies, I do their, their tunneled peritoneal catheters, their Plurex catheters. Um, I do everything for them. So I want them to know that I'm full service IR. So they will say, Hey, you know, I have, you know, this tumor for an ablation. Um, and they don't know what I do in the office and what I do in the hospital because they I don't, don't care. I don't want them to know. That's right. Yeah. They don't care. So I'll do tumor ablations for them. I, I, you know, they'll ask me weird things like, oh, hey, this woman had, uh, you know, a, a tumor that disappeared after chemo. And now it's back. Can you put a fiducial marker in it just so we know where it is? Sure. I don't care. Um, but it's something I want to do in the hospital. Uh, so I'll do the ablations in the hospital. They asked me to do a, um, a primary feeding tube, a G-tube. Sure. I could do it in the office, but why? I mean, it's, it's a risky thing. Um, you know, 90% of them go right, but if they don't, they don't. So I can do it in the hospital. Um, I mentioned cryoablations. So same thing, you know, there's a urology group that wants me to do pretty much everything. So I do, I do stone access. I do primary nephrostomies. I do, uh, double J's. Um, I'll exchange double J's. Uh, I'll, I'll do all of that. But when they say, um, you know, Hey, this guy's got an RCC and look great, send him over. And then I just, I treat him in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, as far as I mentioned, like the complex filter retrievals, um, venous reconstructions, all things we do in the hospital. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, PAD and CLI, you know, basically the, the entire practice is pretty much CLI. We were, we work with the wound care centers. Petruzzi is wound care certified and spends a half a day at a wound care center. I'm about to be wound care certified. So that's where we get the vast majority of our referrals from. But, you know, we also are data hounds. I mean, so you know, right. I, st I still, you know, write papers and review articles. Petruzzi still does. We're, we're involved in studies. Uh, so when someone has, you know, like say a last guy that I did in the hospital had a like, bare metal stent, full metal jacket, you know, 35 centimeters occluded. Well, I mean, the best thing for this guy is Vibons, right? It's, I mean, they're, they're to using stent grafts to line this gives them the best chance. Well, that's about $35,000 worth of stent grafts. Right. So you bring them to the hospital, uh, and, and financially it works better. You know, I don't have to say, no, I can't do this patient. Um, you know, I can get them evaluated for bypass surgeon says, Hey, just try this and see what happens. 
you can do things that make financial sense at the hospital there. And then, you know, things with general anesthesia and things like that. That's one thing I didn't get into with the ASC versus OBL. There's some, depending on the state, and I, I didn't want to get into it because it's really sticky. Uh, what kind of sedation you can give um, ASCs tend to allow for certain types of, of deep sedation and anesthesia. Uh, some OBLs allow moderate sedation. Some will only allow kind of oral sedation. Really depends on, you know, where you are, what the local rules are. But as far as general anesthesia, I mean, we have the hospital for that. So some of the bigger, so my, I have a partner, um, Chris Kim, he's wonderful. Uh, he does a lot of PAEs and he's doing, he's done the vast majority of them at the hospital, but he's done a few in the lab. Uh, and they've, they've, they've turned out well. Uh, and what that has actually kind of led to is the next iteration of our original site. Now that we've outgrown it, we'll have a fixed unit. We've already, we've already bought the fixed unit. Nice. Um, we bought the, we bought the fixed, uh, Phillips, Lazurian, you know, fancy, whatever for our outpatient lab. And so, you know, he can now do his prostates there. Uh, that, that lab will have a hot lab so we can do our Y nineties there. We can do our oncology there. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so you're, you're so, going to do the Y nineties there. Um, correct. That is exciting. So how is that going to work when you do a mapping? Uh, so that's a fantastic question. See, it's actually, you know, it's, it's relatively easy for us because we're pretty much across the street from the hospital in that, in that yeah. center. Um, you know, I know that's always the biggest, the biggest issue, but yeah, we are basically going to say, you know, all right, you know, here you are, go, you know, <laughs> we're going yeah. to bring you across the across street, take it. a picture. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the companies, the, the vendors have all the rest of it, you know, pretty much, you know, just plug and play lock and key yeah. kind of thing. Uh, as long as you have the, the facilities to do it. And, and we didn't want to do it, you know, unless we had the right imaging, you know, so we could do our cone beams and we could do everything the right way. Uh, and, and, you know, as long as you have the, the willingness to make that invest investment and the patience to do it, it'll, it'll, it'll pay off, you know, just fine. So what are some of the other, you know, less common or less ordinary things that you guys are doing in your labs? Sure. I, I don't, I don't know a lot of people who are doing like full kind of urology, uh, stuff. You know, I think a lot of people are doing ports, picks, biopsies, uh, all dialysis stuff. Um, you know, we just did our first, uh, endo AVF in the lab. Nice. Um, we've done some in the hospital, uh, and we have a lot of patients again, because we're, we're kind of part of our, we have our surgeons as part of the group. You know, we, we have a lot of patients we've done in the hospital. Sure. But the problem with the endo AVF is, uh, you know, we, we use, uh, the ellipsis product, which just got bought by Medtronic, um, Ellipsis fought very hard to get a code to get it paid and it gets paid in the hospital, but they, they had, I think they struggled to get an outpatient code. Uh, they finally did as of July of this past year, but, uh, there was no, um, Medicare basically coverage determination. There was no, uh, guidance as to what it should pay. So it was left up to the regional Medicare carriers. Uh, and most of them just never assigned it a value. So now, um, I think now that Medtronic is kind of involved and have their multi-billion dollar company behind it, um, they do have a valuation for the code. So now it is something that can be done, uh, outpatient. And the other part about that is once you have a code where you have a value, then there's some negotiating room you have with a company as far as what are we going to pay for the product? Okay. Um, which just to segue into another situation, um, 
the OBL pricing for most medical devices is you know significantly different than than hospital pricing. Uh, and that there's some black box there, and you know I'm, I'm probably you know not supposed to get too much into it, but it's a it's a, it's a widely known so it's a wide it's a widely known secret that you know if you're paying three thousand dollars for a device at a hospital, you may the OBL price may be eleven hundred dollars for some of this stuff. So that's another reason why a lot of this stuff is more beneficial in the outpatient setting. Because if you if you do the math and you if you were to say, all right, well, this is what my reimbursement is, um, you know, for uh, you know, an outpatient procedure and you use hospital pricing, it, it doesn't work quite as well. But the companies know that the volume is going to come from the outpatient labs. Absolutely. You, know, you, you, you try to do, you know, six big procedures in a hospital, you know, in an OR and an IR suite, you know, with a, the turnover time and, and you know, the, the patient access issues, it's going to be a major problem. But it's not uncommon at all to do that number in an outpatient, you know, office. And so the the volume gets driven through there and they make their money on that. Right. I mean, that that's certainly important for everybody to know, especially if they're considering opening one of these. Like, yeah. You know, you're not paying hospital prices for these, not necessarily at least. And uh, and certainly you shouldn't go into it expecting to. So I asked you just anything else you're thinking about maybe adding uh, in the future or anything funky you've heard anybody else is doing. And then, and basically just, you know, what the horizon looks like uh, for OBLs. And then if you think it would be useful or even relevant to just see if, you know, how the um, relationship has been with the hospital once you guys decided to make that. Sure. Um, so I am I am convinced that that this is the future of IR. I, I mean, really, it really is. And the reason I think it is, is if you look at kind of the the general private practice radiology group, you know, what you hear when you're a fellow coming out into the world about private practice is the big concern is, look, you know, we are not as valuable as a guy who's reading brain MRIs all day. You know, if you, if you take an hour to do a lung biopsy and you spend, you know, 15 minutes consenting them and 15 minutes doing orders afterwards, and then, you know, you got to monitor them. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to go see a consult for uterine artery embolization that, that may or may not, you know, decide to do the procedure. Now, you know, basically, you know, you're, you're, you've, you're, you're so far behind someone who's read 50 brain MRIs in that time, you're not valuable. And then you say, well, you know, give me a PA or an NP, give me some clinic time. Um, also now to the group, you're even less valuable. Uh, so, you know, what, what IR becomes is, you do what's asked of you when it's asked of you and you do, you know, your, you, you read a stack of films in between. <clears throat> now there's certainly a, a, a lot of different models and you've interviewed, you know, a lot of these really kind of badass IR guys who, you know, are doing, you know, a, a handful of Y90s every day, or they're doing a bunch of PAEs or they're, you know, they, they're doing, you know, everything they're doing fine. But the vast majority of kind of private practice IR guys are being, you know, kind of looked down upon by their uh, diagnostic partners. So now you take that business outside of the hospital and then you start printing money basically for the group and say, look, you know, I'm now bringing in seriously positive revenue for you. Now I need an NP. Now I need, you know, just, just give me my time. Let me build my clinic. Let me build my business. And it will continue to pay in procedures and downstream revenue you know, you've now added a really seriously important arm to the 
the the diagnostic radiology group that they before was more of a loss leader. You know, IR is something they needed as a service commitment. Uh, yeah, we have to do your abscess strategies. We have to do your pick lines. That's fine, but we want to read your brain MRIs. Now it's the other way around. Now IR is driving things and IR is sending checks to the group and saying, just let us do our thing and we're going to keep building and you're going to see, we're going to keep making this better and better. And I think that's the future of IR. You know, that's, that's great for the groups. Uh, the hospital, how that, how that is re- received by the hospitals depends whether or not you're working with the hospitals. Yeah. So our first group, their first OBL, sorry, we are the IR group at the hospital. Okay. The one that I'm starting now, we are not the IR group at the hospital. That's <laughs> two thirds of a mile down the road. Okay. So that's why that's been extremely beneficial to me because I can offer them services, oncology services, CLI services, um, uh, urology services, UAEs, um, things that their group are not doing. So now that's where it's so important to me to be a full service IR person for these groups because they're so unhappy with the IR group that they're dealing with, which, you know, is a very, very basic bread and butter kind of IR group. They haven't done anything new in a long time. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of, I don't want to say spoiled. I, I, don't, I don't know the guys very well. But when the urologist says, hey, I want you to have a lower pole access. I want it here. I want it there. And then they, you know, and then I want a, a, um, an NU down. So like, well, here, I'll, you'll get a mid to upper pole access with a nephrostomy. And it's going to be, you know, eight French and it's not going to be what you want. It's not going to be the right place. But hey, you know, I got it in. Right. Um, so, so that has been, I think, beneficial. The, the hospital, you know, we, 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 there's a lot of gamesmanship between us and the hospital, but it's all pretty positive. Um, you know, they put some ultimatums on their referrers. Hey, don't send to this guy, you know? And they're like, well, we have to, because he does what we need them to do. And you guys don't, um, which, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We've only been doing it for what now, five months, but there will, there will definitely be, you know, we'll definitely come together on some things and it's probably gonna be beneficial for us, you know, in, in the long run. And then the other model is where we are the IR group. They, they know that we're going to bring a lot of patients there. They know we're providing services. They're happy to, they're, they, they're not partner with us um, right. in, any, in any real way, but they know, you know, how we do things. We, we, we work well with them. We refer a lot of patients to them. They refer a lot of patients to us. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very nice. It's a nice relationship with them. Um, you know, they're employed vascular surgeons and, you know, that that's a little bit more, there's, there's a little bit more uh, BS that kind of goes on behind the scenes there sure. as far as referral patterns and stuff. But they're happy with the way we do things. Well, they have to be. If, if you're doing the, the best work you can, you're doing the best work for the patient and, right. and you're the best available, there, there's going to be business for you. Right. That, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. Um, that's, 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 a, that's probably the, the motto, you know, most everybody should be living by. Absolutely. Um, so what else am I missing, Mike? I mean, what's on the horizon for OBLs? I agree. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, that the horizons are very bright for OBLs mm-hmm. in general, but, uh, you know, really anybody who goes out and does work like this. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, EMBOs are going to be the next big thing in OBLs. Okay. So, so we're doing um, geniculars for uh, hemarthrosis, oh. um, but we're not doing them for osteo, but we, I'm sure we will be. Right. Um, I, I everybody's waiting. Cool. Everybody's waiting for bariatric coming down the line. PAE, you can fill, you know, your whole week with PAEs. Uh, 
So that's, you know, in UAE is, of course, that, that model has been proven dozens of times. Um, so I think EMBO, because, you know, CLI, these patients tend to be pretty sick. Um, it, it takes, sure. you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, expertise and you really have to live and breathe it to do it well. And, you know, the, I think we've seen for 10 years now, uh, some of those codes being abused and, and the, the, the numbers being knocked back and back as far as reimbursement. Uh, I mean, I'll never give up doing it because I love doing it, but you know, there definitely will be people who are like, well, it's not worth it anymore. What's, what's the next big thing. And those cardiologists are going to have some coronary stuff and some EP stuff that they can probably do as their next code, you know, will have embo, you know, who knows vascular surgery, I'm sure we'll have something else that they can do. But, you know, as that, as that code kind of fades away over the next couple of years or those codes, um, you know, there will be other ones. I think, I think embo probably is the next the next big one, which I think will be accessible to, to most people. You know, there's a uh, keep an eye on PERC AVF um, could be a, a really big change in, in, you know, the way patients are treated. Yeah. Uh, depending on how these things kind of pan out, the data looks pretty good early on. And then, you know, there's stuff that we don't do, you know, pain management. People have been doing that stuff forever. Um, that's something that we've never gotten into, but definitely can be done. Uh, and who knows, who knows what's going to happen next, but it really does depend on where you kind of settle down and, and what the market is and just being open to, and just being open to anything, um, you know, veins, you know, right. uh, that's so, uh, another huge practice to, you know, that, that I'm involved in, but I, I don't even, it just, it just happens. You know, if you, right. they see, they see vascular something, you're going to have more self-referrals and referrals from, from people you've never heard of than you, than you, you know, can handle. But it really does come down to knowing your referrers and proving to your referrers that you're the best person for the job. And it's really easy when you have a model like this where you've chosen the front desk people, the nurses, the techs, the MAs. And when that patient comes in, they're treated like family. It's, you know, it's just so great to see you. How are you? Let me walk you back. Oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. We're laughing. We're joking. Talking about whatever. You know, the doctor's right there. Hey, how's everything? We're good. We're great. Nice to see you. Everybody's happy. Everybody's pleasant. They leave and they're like, I can't wait to go back. And then they go back to the referrers and they say, this place is wonderful. And look at my foot. You know, remember all those black toes I had? You know, they, they kind of sloughed off and now I have pink stuff under there. This is unbelievable. Um, you know, just, and then you get that experience once for a referrer and they're, you know, they're, they're with you forever. So, um, you know, it's easy to do it in this setting. Well, hats off to you for what you and Nick and the rest of your crew have built. And thank you for taking the time to join us and share your expertise. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, like I, I've given this talk a couple of times to medical students and um, I actually have, keep an eye out for an SIR session, which is basically the same thing. That's, that's coming up this year, but it's, it's just, you know, there's a lot of benefits to this. And I, I'm, I'm sure for, for a lot of reasons that this really is the future, you know, it allows IRs to be the clinical doctors that they want to be um, and have their clinical practice. And I spend more than half my time, you know, seeing patients in the office. Uh, so, and, and I love it and, you know, it's, it's, it's really important for the patients to know you and, and to know that you're the person behind the mask when they're doing the, you're doing the revascularization or whatever you're doing. So, um, you know, it's just one of the reasons, you know, there's, there's no escaping kind of the, the OBL trend. Awesome, man. Thanks again. You got it. <laughs>